You are listening to Shadow of the Wing, and I am Antonia Chain. This show is a serialized telling of the novel Shadow of the Wing by Antonia Chain. To find out more, visit antoniachain.com. Listeners are advised that some content is only suitable for a mature audience. Police gave their report to the senior management team convened to hear what would be reported to the inquest. The proposed verdicts would be misadventure for Moody and unlawful killing for Jim McCormack. But whatever their recommendations, the final decision would be the coroner's. This investigation team were not local police, so there was none of the friendliness that might be expected from professionals working and living in a local community. These were a national team based centrally within the London Metropolitan Police Service, especially trained to investigate crime in prison and top security hospitals. Conducting investigations was a difficult and demanding job at the best of times and required tenacity, and ironically, criminal cunning. The gamekeeper had to think like the poacher to be able to outwit him. In an environment full of people who not only lied better than most other people in the world, but enjoyed lying, it was an even more difficult task. Add into the mix the altered reality of some of the patients who would swear with some conviction and absolutely no intention to divert the course of the investigation that they had personally observed Jesus Christ himself killing Don Moody. The police investigation was seen by many of the officers involved as a thankless task and a waste of their time. At the end of the day, who really cared if a patient died, particularly scum like Don Moody? Several officers voiced to each other the opinion that the world was a better place without him, although this opinion did not feature in their report. The loss of a nurse was a tragedy, but as they said amongst themselves, it was like police work. You took the king's shilling, and you took what the job threw at you. They understood that this meant that people got hurt, it was the nature of the job. In that respect, at least, they had sympathy for what had happened to the nurse. Sheila Margulies politely and warmly thanked the officers for their report and for the care and consideration with which they'd conducted their investigation. She hoped, she said, that the hospitality shown the officers had been sufficient and she smiled ruefully when she said that with all respect she hoped they never had to meet again. Handshakes were exchanged and the officers were escorted by the nurse to the main key gate and from there out of the hospital. The moment the door closed the warmth left Sheila's face. She looked around the room, her gaze lighting on every face one by one and leaving a pregnant pause between each sharp, pointed stare. Quietly and tightly, 
in a low, monotone, measured voice, she said, How the fuck did you let this happen? As usual, Dr. Bergman looked bored. He was of the opinion, an opinion no one ever seemed to try to challenge, that the team of psychiatrists were never responsible for anything that happened in the hospital. He and his team were concerned with individuals, he often said. Strategy, business plans, finance and the state of the canteen had absolutely nothing to do with him. He was interested in the science of the mind and in particular the criminal mind. He had no interest in hospital business or politics. His supercilious manner clearly indicated that he thought the former was important and the latter not worth any amount of his time. For whatever reason, Sheila let him get away with this, but Jess noted she would not permit Dr. Bergman to miss the management meetings, although he contributed lamentably little. Don Moody was a high self-harm risk. Everyone was perfectly aware of this. He had a committed history of self-harm and evidenced highly creative ways of cutting himself. It's increasingly clear to me that the treatment on the psychological treatment unit had little impact on his pattern of behaviours. Jess thought that Dr Bergman sounded almost reverential about the alleged creativity showed by Don Moody, but significantly less so about the unit. The unit was led by psychologists interested in behaviour modification. This treatment approach started from a position that behaviour could be modified and that Hilgram patients were as potentially responsive to it as any other person in society. These were positions fundamentally disagreed upon by most of the forensic psychiatry establishment. I think the question we really need to consider is how on earth the nurses allowed Moody to get hold of a blade. Mike O'Sullivan was more measured in his response than it was clear Carl Langley had intended to be, though his bright red face notched up a hue. Mike placed his hand on Carl's shoulder, pressing him to stay seated and calm. Carl looked coiled and ready to spring. As you rightly say, Rafe, Don Moody was a known cutter. The man nursing team managed it as well as we could, bearing in mind his addiction to cutting and his pride in as he perceived it, being the worst cutter in the hospital. You know as well as anyone, if they're determined to do it, they will, and we cannot watch them every minute of every day. To Don Moody, getting this blade was exactly the same as an abstinent drug user getting a fix of pure heroin. There would be no tolerance or restraint. That's why my nurses take such great care to keep patients like Don away from sharps. I do not think it's helpful blaming nurses. In response, Rafe Bergman continued to look bored. Sheila moved the meeting on. She said that the internal investigation would focus on where Don had gotten the blade. The police investigation identified the weapon as a common or garden kitchen craft blade. There were only two possible options. He got the blade in the hospital or it was brought in from the outside. He never had any external visitors which left the staffing team. No one seriously believed any member of staff who had direct access to patients would bring a blade into the hospital. 
It was well known that patients got hold of contraband including alcohol and mobile phones, and on occasion more serious concerns such as drugs and even pornography, but no member of staff would be so foolish as to give a lethal weapon to one of Hilgram's patients. Carl was appointed to head the internal investigation team, but no one was in much doubt that he would find that staff did not bring a blade in and that his nursing team could not have done more. If the staff did not bring the blade in, where on earth was it from? Jess had a worrying premonition that she knew where this was going to lead. The press are, as usual, all over this. Rather than allow ourselves to be hammered yet again by the media, we should embrace it as an opportunity to be open and transparent. We both be so, of course, but we can present them with the message we want to give. That is, something like, the hospital is full of dangerous people and staff are heroes who sometimes get hurt by them, sort of thing. I'd like Jess to develop a management strategy and take it forward, drawing on her contacts in the media. Jess was completely surprised at Sheila's decree. John had not discussed this with her, and being unprepared she found herself agreeing and mentally kicking herself for not finding a way out to challenge the notion. Damn. Sheila then began to address the practical issues related to Nurse Jim McCormack. Obviously, flowers would be sent and his wife would be beneficiary to his pension. Carl reported that a large number of nursing staff wanted to attend his funeral and asked that they be given paid time off to allow this. Sheila said that only a representative number of staff could take time off, but certainly if others wanted to go in their own non-work time, that was their concern. She and Mike would attend as representatives of the management team, but a request had been received from the family that none of the management team attended the wake following his service. Sheila was glad of the imposed restriction. Frankly, she didn't even want to attend the funeral, but she would not openly admit that. Attendance was a part of her required managerial role. Tia was inconsolable. Jess held her close and just let her sob. There is nothing missing, Jess. I've checked the inventories and there isn't a single blade missing. You know I would have reported it if anything had been. I'm not stupid. I know how important it is. Why else would I have introduced the metal detector gate and the outline boards? It just couldn't have been our department. It just couldn't. Carl had, of course, decided that the nurses were not at fault. His rationale, ergo, was that someone else must have been, and that could only have been non-nursing staff. Carl was politically astute enough to avoid any suggestion that a senior professional, a doctor or a psychologist could have been involved. By default, blame must lay with the teachers or occupational therapists. Perhaps it was because of relative staffing numbers, or perhaps it was because of the somewhat militant approach of the Prison Officers Association. The Nurses' Union did not actively seek to work in partnership with other professional unions. For whatever reason, in Hilgram, teachers and occupational therapists, although professionals in their own right, did not get respect as professionals equal from the nursing staff. Carl's report went to Sheila, who took it in turn to the board. Despite a check of the inventories, 
which on each of the three times he checked showed nothing missing. Carl proposed that on the basis of probabilities and the absence of sharps, the sort that went into Jim's neck being found anywhere in the hospital, other than in OT, it was more than likely the source of the blade. He proposed attention to OT staff training on security, a thorough review of both audit and materials management systems, a removal of all potentially lethal tools, and an immediate return to less dangerous crafts such as felt work, painting and pottery. His proposals were unanimously accepted. In addition, Sheila proposed, and it was accepted, that Tio be dismissed with immediate effect. the show and would like to read more stories by Antonia Chain, you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, and at her website, AntoniaChain.com. Thanks for listening.